welcome to episode 72 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Jesse, what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening right now, Tony, is that we've got books to give away. We've got Grace Alone, Faith Alone of the Five Solo Series out of Zondervan, who's sponsoring that giveaway, and it's time to pick some winners for those two books. It is. And last time when we made people wait till the end of the episode, nobody claimed their books. So without further ado, (laughs) the two winners of our Leftovers Five Sola contest is Michael Kisner and Samuel Brown. So if you are Michael Kisner or Samuel Brown, then email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com from the email you use to register uh, and let us know. The first person to email us will get their choice of the book. Uh, The other person gets whatever is left. And uh, you will have until January 31st to claim your books. Otherwise, Jesse is the winner of those books. Yes, finally. We'll figure out some other way. You probably could have read them by in the amount of time it's taken us to give them away. They're basically staring me down at my kitchen table yeah. every day. I think I just want to get into your pages. <laughs> so get your books. Yes. So uh, Michael Kisner, Samuel Brown, email us and we will uh, get your books to you. Otherwise, if you do not email us, we will cast the books into the outer darkness where there is weeping <laughs> and gnashing of pages. <laughs> well done. Well yes. played. So Jesse, so let's a- Do you have any affirmations today? I do. I was just about to ask you. You want me to go first? You go ahead. Yeah. All right. So here's what I'm affirming this week. I started the year off by reading two books, which were very uncharacteristic for me. Okay. They've been super helpful. So here's the first book is I realized that I want to make sure that as I'm reading stuff, because you're a big reader, I'm a big reader. True. That I want to make sure that I'm reading for understanding and not just for information. So... I heard about this book, which is super nerdy. It's a book about how to read books called How to Read a Book. Nice. By Mortimer J. Adler, who sounds like he is from a Shakespearean or Sherlock Holmes villain, but it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it for anybody that wants to read better. And there's, though these gentlemen are not, there's by two guys actually, no, they're not believers. There is a large section about reading scripture and it's spot on. So this is a great nice. way to, especially if, if you're like us, where you are exposed to like hundreds of books and you don't know which one you want to spend your time on. This is yeah. a great method. It's a practical guide for how to pick whether a book is actually worth reading. So really good. So that's the first one. The second one you'll also appreciate, Tony, because I sometimes make fun of this podcast, but it turns out that not our podcast, although I do kind of make fun of our podcast <laughs> sometimes, but... Uh, this is the author has her own podcast on WNYC, and this book is called Bored and Brilliant oh, nice. by Manoush, Manoush. Samarodi, which is a great name. So the whole point of this book is trying to understand whether if we change our relationships with our technology, especially <laughs> our mobile devices and our screens, whether we'll be more mindful, thoughtful, and creative. And though I didn't think I had much to learn from this, I picked it up because my wife checked it out. It is fantastic. So I recommend both these as a way to kind of start, especially because we're going to be talking a little bit about spiritual mindfulness in a way later. And so this fits in right well. So how to read a book, bored and brilliant. I would have never expected to start my rear, my rear, my year (laughs) reading reading those things. Amazing. Nice. Best affirmation ever. But I affirm them. Go out and pick them up. All right. We definitely need to hear from you now, Tony. Yes. So I discovered, and by discovered, I mean was told about uh, by Tim Challies on his blog. Uh, I discovered an app called Prayer Mate. Have you heard of this app before? I have. So I was a little skeptical at first, but Tim Challies is usually a pretty reliable source, and he spoke very highly of it. And it's almost kind of hard to explain how it works. So let me let me just run through a prayer and describe what's going on. So you open okay. the app. It's great radio. 
Yes, you open the app and you swipe to pray. This is actually exactly what Tim Challies did in his video. But what it does is it gives you several items and you can pick how many items you want to pray for, or how many you want to include. And so like um, by default, it includes like the Lord's Prayer or other New Testament prayers, or you can add Old Testament prayers. And you just go through some of it is prayers for you, like written prayers for you to pray. Um, you can download prayer packs, which would have like, articles about prayer that you can read briefly during your prayer time. So I downloaded one of those in the pray for my church section and it was five ways to pray for your pastor. So then for, for every five days, it's going to give me a different way to pray for my pastor. Um, and then it'll bring up towards the end. It has something from, um, open door for world missions. And it's like, uh, something about the, that's going on in the global church that you probably weren't aware of. So today's, uh, January 21st was East Africa, a local church leader ministers to be, uh, ministers to persecuted Christians in East Africa. And it goes on to talk about what's going on in East Africa. So it's a way for you to sort of structure your prayers. Um, it gives you different things to pray for. You can create prayer lists. So I have like one for family, one for unbelievers that I'm praying for. Um, you can add all sorts of stuff. So we're going to talk, today's topic is about prayer. So we might get into why I use this, but it's very, it's been very helpful for me. I've only been using it for a few days, but it's been really helpful for me to just sort of like focus and structure my prayers and then to bring in some elements to my prayers that um, were kind of lacking before things about the the global church and things like that. Instead of just kind of like ticking through a predefined list in your head, it's dynamic and you can set like priorities. Like this is really important to pray for me. You can set a date for it to automatically drop out. So if it's a, you're praying for an event at your church that's going to happen, you can have it drop out after that or something like that. So check it out. It's called PrayerMate, um, P-R-A-Y-E-R-M-A-T-E. I believe it's available for both Android and, um, and iOS. I use it on my iPad, but I think it's available for Android as well. That's the app where you can actually, it kind of like curates a list for you, right? Yep, you can exactly. cycle through different types of things to kind of keep your prayer life fresh, for lack of a better word. Yeah, well, and I, I think... We'll get into it in more detail, but I get kind of in ruts where like I pray for the exact same person the exact same way yeah, every too. day right. because it's familiar and comfortable. So this helps me to kind of like change things up and to be praying in ways that are more specific, but are also kind of more dynamic. I can add new prayer requests or new people to pray for very quickly on the fly. And it actually includes in part of your prayer list towards the end is a spot to add new things to pray for. So as you think of things during prayer time, you can add them and then it'll bring them back up in the list on a, a pattern that you set or you know you can say it's the highest priority um it i still haven't quite got my head around all of the ways to use the app but it's it's really cool and i really really like it so let me kick off some denials Let's so do because it. this is the united states and it is the lord's day there's football being played today in this season and i'm going to deny against the insanity of group behavior so okay. I w became aware this morning that because the Philadelphia Eagles are playing in a championship game, that there are actually groups sponsored by the city in the city of Philadelphia that are going around this morning and they're putting Crisco on all the light poles so that if the Eagles win, <laughs> people will not climb them <laughs> and destroy them. Nice. So, in, but in my opinion, does this not only just egg those people on? Like when you yeah. crisco them up and they know that, they're just going to be all the more eager to try to prove that they can climb them. So I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing people try to climb Criscoed poles. But yeah. the fact that supposedly they're, these people who are helping with this process have a name, they're, they call themselves at least the Crisco Cops. So just wow. the fact that that has to exist is something I'm just denying against. Wow. I'm not even yeah. sure what to make of that. I don't know if there's any commentary to add. That's pretty awesome. I think it's all in the description, but yeah. what about you? So I shared last week that I had applied for and interviewed for a job and that people would, I would probably have heard back before um, the episode release. And that's true. I did. Um, so I am denying, not that I didn't get the job because I didn't get the job, but I'm denying overcompensating. So let okay. me explain this. So, if, if you ever apply for a job and you don't get the job, you should always ask the person who was hiring you to meet with you and give you feedback. And there's two reasons. 
Um, if they refuse to meet with you or they just don't seem interested, it means you are never really a contender in the, the position and y- you shouldn't waste your time with that person in the future. Right. If they agree to meet with you, it means that they're interested in you as a person and developing you, either because if another position opens up, you would still be on their list or just because they see potential in you. So I meet with the manager who didn't hire me. And what she says to me is, well, we really wish you would have been a little bit more aggressive and outspoken. <laughs> and and I, I actually laughed out loud when she said that. And I said, I don't believe anyone in the history of my life has ever told me I should be more outspoken. And she kind of chuckled and said, yeah, I've seen you at meetings and you're not shy. So I don't know what happened. And the only thing I can come up with is that I know that I tend to come on strong in those kinds of situations. And it's not always a positive thing when you're interviewing with someone and you kind of come on really strong with them. So I must have overcompensated. So in the grand scheme of things, I'm fine. I still have a a job that I enjoy that I think is rewarding. It would have been nice to get this promotion, but whatever. Um, but I didn't get the job because I overcompensated and came across too timid. That's, that's just insanity to me. I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with that. So I literally laughed out loud when she said it and she, I mean, it was a good meeting. We had a good conversation. Um, so I've got some meetings coming up. If people would pray for me, um, there's some other opportunities at my job that um, I'm looking at that may be very helpful and may be good. Um, but yeah, just overcompensating. Try not to overcompensate. Whether you're driving in the snow, overcompensating is bad. Oh, job interviews, bad dates, um, whatever. Overcompensating, not good. So first, sorry that you didn't get the job. It's all good. Second, do you remember feeling like you were trying to pull it back a little bit? In yeah, the I, was, I was intentionally holding myself back because I come off a lot of times as... Um, and no one's going to believe this, but I come across as like very, very confident. Um, and so sometimes in interviews, if you come across as too confident, that's not good. So you want to, you know, usually want to try to portray like a, a healthy level of confidence where you recognize that you are competent for the job you're applying for, but not coming in there. Like you own the place, like you've already got the job. Right. It's a delicate balance. And so I, I tried to hold myself back a little bit, and apparently I held myself back a little bit too much. And you must so, have held way back. I, I know. I mean, I, I don't even know what I, I – I don't understand how that would even be possible. So, huh. I mean, there was there was times in there that I actually felt like, ooh, I probably should have held back a little bit more. But apparently I should have just been as um, vocal and – I don't know, aggressive as I possibly could have. <laughs> she actually used the word aggressive. She wanted me to really? be more aggressive in the interviews. And I was like, man, that's, are you sure? Because I don't know that you want to see me being aggressive in these interviews. So, so yeah, so I, it was good feedback. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I made good connections. I met really cool people. Um, and I've, I've got some good professional and probably some good personal relationships that are going to come out of it, I think. so. The more you know. Yes, the more you know. Speaking of places where you and I are super confident, let's talk about prayer. <laughs> prayer. Oh, <laughs> prayer. Prayer is one of those things that everybody kind of knows what it is, but no one. It's kind of like time. You know what it is until someone asks you to explain it or f- define it. Right. So and there's been so much written about this, right? So we're, we recognize we're not going to add anything to the subject per se, but it would, I'd be interested to kind of hear from you about how you approach prayer, what what we understand prayer to be in kind of a general yeah. sense. Because I think there's a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah, I mean, it's prayer is one of those things that is so central to what it means to be a Christian. It's not even just central to the Christian faith. It's central to our identity as Christians. Right. Um, we're going to try to stay really practical. Um, so I just want to read this uh, question 98 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism because I think it I will kind of structure. Go of course I'm going to go there. Where else am I going to go? Do it, it says, question, what is prayer? Answer, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So whatever kind of like acronym you use or like mnemonic device to remember like what parts of prayer you should have all of those are touched on in this um in this definition of prayer but i i think because being a christian is all about union with christ and communion with with god 
prayer is something that is really central to what it means to be a Christian. It's not something that Christians do, but in a lot of ways, prayer is what Christians are. It's so fundamental, but it's also so like misunderstood. People don't understand what it is. I, I'm this is not an area of strength for me. So um, I'm gonna throw myself on the mercy of the listeners to be uh, generous as I I kind of stumble through this with you. Same here. I feel out of my depth on this just because it is really hard to define. So generally, I end up looking at what others who are far smarter than me have said. And one of the quotes I really like in terms of defining prayer is from Jonathan Edwards, Johnny Ed, if I can call him. J. Ed. J. Ed. So he writes, prayer is one of the greatest and most excellent means of nourishing the new nature and of causing the soul to flourish and prosper. It is an excellent means of keeping up an acquaintance with God and of growing in knowledge of God. And I've always appreciated that, especially because of the last part, this idea of keeping up an acquaintance with God and of growing in knowledge of God. Because like you said, and it's become cliche to some extent, there is no graduation in the school of prayer. It just doesn't exist. So we just continue to grow in it and we see the importance of it. But here's where I think maybe we have something to say about that, and especially in the Reformed tradition. And that is our culture increasingly is one of just lack of focus. So it's one thing to say, yeah, prayer is important. But it's another thing to understand that prayer is is potent, it's powerful, yeah, and that it is productive. And that's where I struggle because when I look at my day and the things that I want to do and want to accomplish, whether those be temporal things or spiritual things, sometimes even with the spiritual things, I think, well, isn't it more practical and more productive to read various things than it yeah. is to get on my knees and to spend a really solid, concentrated focus, 45 minutes of prayer, of time in prayer? Like that's that's the rub. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, what's interesting about prayer is in my mind, it's kind of like a really clear example of the things that seem foolish to us being actually the wise things. Right. on. So, you know, that's a theme, especially in Paul, but, you know, in um, John and there's all sorts of this reversal of fortunes or reversal of status where the foolish things or the weak things of the world are actually the things that are the strongest. And this is going to sound really controversial, but prayer a lot of times feels like a waste of time because usually there's no immediate results. There's nothing concrete that you can latch onto. There's nothing, you know, it, there's no voice coming out of the ceiling responding to your prayers. And most of the time, um, your prayers go unanswered in terms of outward appearances. There's not usually a um, a visible answer to prayer. It's more often than not um, because of the way that God works. He answers prayer through um, ordinary means, just like he does most things in the world. And so you pray to one end and whatever comes about is a answer to prayer but it's hard to say like, well, that's what it's hard to not say that's what would have come about anyways, because you can point at all of the sort of natural processes that brought that result about without recognizing that God was active and involved in all of those natural processes. Right. At least once in every episode, we need to have a spot where you say, this is going to sound controversial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's becoming like our theme. I love it. Yeah. We're going to change the motto. You know, it's honor everybody love the brotherhood but it's going to be honor everybody this is going to sound controversial that's the new model yeah but you're right because that's kind of what i was driving at is that it seems like prayer is a waste of time because we're not actually doing anything or getting anything done i mean even people fall into this trap in terms of ministry there's so many things to do in vocational ministry that it can seem like the prayer part gets squeezed out but i love that Martin Luther said to have studied well is to have prayed well. Yeah. And I've really kind of taken that into almost all, try to take that into all facets of my life. So yeah. to do finance well is to have prayed well over that work first. So there's this idea that, of course, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And we need right. to kind of get, or at least I need to get my mind around what that means. And my fear is that I really don't believe it that much because prayer is still a weak part in my schedule, that it yeah. doesn't get the primary spot it really should. So it's part of it is I think we can read all the definitions in the world and feel like really fired up. Like we can open up Ian Bounds on prayer to like pretty much any page and get right. stoked up for like the romantic idea of a long labored prayer. But if we're not even spending 
like a really like a focused 10 minutes in prayer, if we should ask ourselves, when was the last time we were in undistracted prayer for 15 minutes by ourselves, yeah. then I mean, shame on all of us. I mean, shame on me. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll be honest um, as if I'm never, as if I'm ever not honest on the show, but if <laughs> I'm being, lies. if I'm being vulnerable and transparent, we'll throw Ooh. some good corporate jargon. There, out there we go. If I'm being vulnerable on the show here, um, prayer is an area of struggle for me. Um, you know, I, I, I hope this isn't prideful, but I don't struggle to read my Bible every day. Like that's just a part of my daily schedule. Um, I recognize the value and I see the benefits. And so reading scripture and adding more scripture, reading more scripture, ramping that up is not something that's been a terrible, difficult thing for me, but I do struggle for a lot of the reasons you're saying I struggle to pray consistently because you know, if I'm sitting, I, I do most of my devotions sitting at my desk neck in front of my computer because that's where I have log offs. That's where I do my reading. And so when I go to pray, I shut my computer screen down and then I try to pray. But it's like I know like there are other things that could be that could be happening there. And no matter where right. you go, like somebody right now is going, well, duh, don't sit in front of your computer, dummy. But no matter where you go. There's other things that you could be doing and other things that outwardly seem more productive, right? I could spend 45 minutes in prayer or I could go downtown and witness to people for 45 minutes, which right. of those seems more productive. Right. Well, in reality, probably the prayer is more productive in terms of shaping and changing me, in terms of God's will being accomplished in the world. James, you know, James says that the power, the prayers of a faithful man are powerful. That's a very rough paraphrase, but his point is that when God's people pray, it's not just hollow words. There's actual power and change that happens in the world because of the prayers that, that people have. Um, prayers and faith are efficacious to accomplish God's will. Um, and I think we really miss that a lot of times. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so difficult is even that seasoned Christians get caught up in the fact that there seems like there's so many other things to do. And at least when you're reading the scriptures, there's, I think, a different sense of vulnerability. If you come to the scriptures with a sense of holy dread that you're understanding that this is God's holy word in front of right. you, you want to read for understanding. You want yeah. to process. But in the same time, the scripture is there almost as a guide. It's kind of a safety net in a way. When you take that away and say, now it's time to pray. Right. Sometimes we don't even know where to start or how to speak, or we're just too distracted by a million things. Yeah. And we have to kind of power through that. I think this is where part of the work that prayer does is not, of course, you'd agree with this, not just in the world, but in us. So yes. I think maybe most of prayer is in the classroom of prayer. You just need to be present. Yeah. And that's how you learn. Yeah, it's absolutely. not always about, have I read the right book? Do I have the right tool or resource? Or do I have the right written stuff down? It's, you've just got to sit in the chair and you've got to learn by doing. And that's a hard yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about like what books would I recommend? And I don't have any books that I would recommend. Not Not because I've never read a book on prayer or not because I think there aren't good ones out there. But at the end of the day, at least in my experience, prayer is not one of those things that you can book your way into, right? right. I can learn to be a better exegete and understand scripture by reading books. I can learn systematic theology by reading books. I can learn in some ways to be a better husband or a better friend or a better church member um, or a better employee by reading books about it. But prayer seems to me to be one of those things that the only way you can get better at praying is by spending time in prayer. Kind of like you can read every book there is about running or about gymnastics, but unless you get out on the road and run or spend some time on the mat doing stretches and you know practicing backflips and stuff, you're never going to get better at those things, right? Mental right. knowledge about a sport is fine and there's some value to it, but you're never going to be an athlete unless you actually get out there and be an athlete. And I think prayer is very much the same way. Right. I totally agree with that because we see exhibited in Jesus himself this concept that communication is always the hallmark of relationship. So prayer is in, there's all these different facets and we can define it so many different ways, 
But one of those ways would be it's about communicating in the context of a relationship. Right. So, you know, like my wife and I have friends that have been married for 50 years. You would think by that point, there's really no need to speak to one another. Like they know each other yeah. exceptionally well and right. they'd be able to probably finish each other's sentences or even kind of get a sense for their thoughts that are uncommunicated. Right. But of course they still talk because being in a relationship means talking together. So that's what makes prayer hard from a purely academic standpoint, because yeah. we can talk about what it means to speak to God, but we cannot talk about what it means to speak with God unless we're actually doing that very thing. So right. let me, here's another quote from Martin Luther. Uh, I love this one too. Audacious prayer, which preserves unflinchingly and ceases not through fear is well-pleasing unto God as a shoemaker makes a shoe or a tailor makes a coat. So ought a Christian to pray. Prayer is the daily business of a Christian. And yeah. so I, I, I'm feeling like as we're talking about this, the, this growing conviction that to be Christian is to pray. In some ways, to be human is to want to commune with God through yeah. prayer. But it's the Christian who does not neglect that duty. And so we have to make it a priority. And, and I don't know what we can do to continue to kind of move forward in that way. Or l- let me say it this way. Like, what are some things that have been helpful in your prayer life? to kind of push you into that practice. Yeah, ju- just a side note. I, I just realized that we preface our whole discussion about how to pray better by saying both of us are struggling with prayer. So I don't know why anyone would continue to listen to us. <laughs> well, but, this is real talk. Exactly. I mean, so from, we're, we're fleshing it out in real time. Exactly. So you, you mentioned earlier that the Bible sometimes feels like it's a little bit of a safety net. Right. And once you kind of take the Bible away and try to pray that it's sort of like, well, what do I even say? And I found that to be the case. And my answer was, well, don't take the Bible away. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, um, it's not a formal assignment, but almost every Sunday, um, towards the end of our worship music, I pray publicly in front of the congregation. And when that first started happening, it was very intimidating. And as I've learned, as I've grown in my, um, understanding and particularly my memorization of scripture, what I've learned is that those public prayers, the ones that people afterwards comment and say, well, that was a very moving prayer or the ones that sometimes, um, you know, my pastor, our father will actually like refer to in the sermon and say, just as Tony prayed this way, those are the ones that my prayers are essentially just strung together scriptures. So, um, learning to not just pray the scriptures, but learning the scriptures and letting the language of scripture inform your prayers. Right. right? The exclusive psalmody people want to say like, well, the best, the best worship songs are the ones that God has given us. And there's a, there's a certain um, element of truth in that in, in a, you know, that's a different argument, but prayer in a lot of ways is the same way. Like the best prayers are the ones that God has given to us in his word. And I'm not just talking about like praying the prayers of scripture, right? We don't just repeat the Lord's prayer, um, or the benediction out of, uh, numbers or, or that stuff, but actually learning, what was that? Prayer of Jabez. Yeah. The prayer of Jabez, um, <laughs> learning the scriptures well enough for the language of scripture to become your native language. Right. Um, particularly in prayer. And that's been so helpful to me because, you know, when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what words to use, what better words to glorify God are there than the word of God that he has given us. I agree. That's the, that should be the best in the first way that we pray is with the scriptures in front of mm-hmm. us. And I think that can help. Like you said, for me, it's been helpful to take a, a space in my life where I set aside time for reading into prayer and vice versa, almost yeah. as a conversation. So reading a verse, stopping, meditating, and actually just praying through that verse. Not in this yeah. kind of like overly formal way, but trying to understand what it means and then let that scripture kind of read you and start a conversation with God. So yeah. we only pray well, I think, if we're going to be immersed in scripture. And we learn our prayer vocabulary the way that children learn their vocabulary. And exactly. that's by getting immersed in language and then speaking it back. So. I agree with kind of the some of the hymnody stuff that you're talking about, the psalmody stuff, because in the most narrow sense, the prayer book of the Bible is the Psalms. Right. And our prayer life would be immeasurably enriched if we just started there by being in the Psalms and using those same words. Because if you think about it, there's no greater words to pray to God than the words that he himself has given to us. Yeah, so exactly. It, I think what happens is I hear a lot of prayers sometimes and think, that seems very like second order or derivative from the scriptures. We get into these kind of cliches where sometimes we forget what they mean 
And we should, would just be better to go back to the scriptures or use that as a rubric and a guide. Just be, and you can read anything. It could be, you can be reading through Leviticus, I think, yeah. and stop and pray. Sometimes Paul is writing and he's just like, I, I sense from him that he's just like, I got to stop and get some doxology on right now. Yeah. And I think if we're going to the scriptures rightly, it should push us right into prayer without us having to labor too much. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. Fair? I actually have this theory about what you just said about the doxology. Is I don't really have this theory, but wouldn't it be interesting if we get to heaven and we find out that you know pr- uh, Paul is writing most of his uh, most of his epistles through an amanuensis, so through somebody right. who he's dictating the letter to, and I can just picture. Paul is going on in this sort of theological treatise and he pauses and goes, I just got to pray real quick. And he prays and the amanuensis just keeps on recording it. <laughs> and then Paul's done praying, says amen, and then goes back to his like lecture on theology. And we have that prayer recorded. I mean, I don't think that it really was like that. I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, maybe it was, but maybe um, I, I forgot where I was going with that, but it, it's just this, there is some truth to the fact that like, I love what you just said about the the prayer being a conversation that we have with God, but the way that God is God's side of the conversation is not like some sort of um, like liver shiver that we have, right? It's not a right. spider sense. Right. It's not it's not the Holy Ghost goosebumps or whatever it is that you know your your youth pastor <laughs> told you about. It it's the scriptures, right? So uh, we we pray right. to God, and the way He speaks back to us is by drawing us to the scriptures. Right. right, it's not it's not the cloud shaping to form a word or um, an impression of something. It's the scriptures, and so I think that it's so important to combine or to pair scripture with your prayers. Um, and for me, that's also helped kind of mitigate that feeling of like, well, there's something more productive I can be doing. So we've we've talked a little bit in the past about how like gimmicks aren't everything, but sometimes kind of those gimmicky solutions can help to structure you and point you in the right direction until you develop like a really, you know, um, ingrained habit. So reading a little bit of scripture, taking some time to pray, reading a little bit more scripture, taking some time to pray. We draw a false dichotomy if we say like, well, I'm not really spending focused time in prayer. If I take five minutes to pray and then five minutes of scripture reading and five minutes of prayer, like we don't need to draw a firm line between those two acts the way that sometimes I think we do. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we create those dichotomies ourselves. We make ourselves feel like if I don't spend a half an hour in prayer, then it's not really deep, right. concentrated prayer. I think it's more about the intent that which we come to it. So I'd rather spend time reading and praying in a concentrated way, no matter how long that is, really give myself over, devote my attention, the first fruits of my mind and right. all the intellectual resources I have to being in God's presence with him in communication than to spend an hour of like frivolous rote, you know, just word speak that right. means nothing that it, it's really definitely all about uh, quality. So I like your idea. And maybe this is like a good suggestion in the scripture type of group. We've been one of the the little pieces that we're memorizing together. I know many are is Psalm one. So right. you know, by example, all you have to do, I think, is take the first verse. Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. Stop and pray through that. Think about right. what that means. Yeah. And then you know, give God praise that He provides that kind of blessing. That we want to be the kind of men and women who are not in the counsel of the wicked. That God would preserve us from standing in the way. That we'd be able to right. see the sin when it comes to our lives. There's like in a typical Puritan way, you could spend like 45 minutes just praying on that verse. I yeah. think if you really want to unpack it. So. I think the great benefit that God gives us is all of the scriptures are really a prayer book. And if we use them in a way that's really mindful, what we'll find is they push us into prayer without without us having to manufacture prayers ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. When I think just to take that example, you know, using the popular acronym ACTS, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We can look at Psalm 1, 1. And we can, we can go through all of those steps. So adoration, I can adore God for the fact that he structured the universe in such a way that there are concrete blessings for people who follow him, right? right. We're not talking about prosperity gospel, but there are concrete temporal blessings for following God. There's a real piece of um, peace as in P-E-A-C-E. There's a real peace that comes about 
from following God that we have as believers that the non-Christian doesn't have. So I can adore God for that peace that he's given me, that blessedness, right? And then there's confession of sin, right? I can confess the fact that in this last week, I have not been the man who, who walks not in the way of the wicked or stands not in the way of the sinners or sits in the seats of the scoffers. I've walked in the counsel of the wicked and I've stood in the way of sinners and I've sat in the seat of scoffers in the last hour, right? If I'm being honest and I'm being, um, aware of myself, I've been that guy, right? And then Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that God has delivered me from that, despite the fact that I have walked in the counsel of the wicked. And then supplication is asking God to help you in the future, not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. So we can take frameworks like that. And I kind of like made a little bit of fun at them at the beginning, but those kinds of frameworks are helpful because they give us a they give us something to latch onto. Right. They give us a structure in order to structure our prayers in a way that we understand what we're doing, what kinds of things we need to accomplish in prayer because of what prayer is. Right? If you just come before God and all that you ever do is ask him for stuff, you're not praying to the God of the universe, you're praying to the genie from Aladdin, right? You're trying to trick him into getting you what you want by praying, right? Or if you ever only ever come to him to confess your sin, okay, like there's value in confessing sin. But if you never come to God as the father who wants to give you good gifts, if only you will ask, like you don't have a fully robust understanding of who God is. So these kinds of like mnemonic devices to kind of remember the different components of prayer. Maybe you just memorize question 98 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism and that's the way you remember the components to prayer. But those components help you understand who God is in relation to you. And that's really what prayer is all about is the relation of God and who God is in relation to the saved sinner and who the saved sinner is in relation to God. Those acronyms have a place, right? They're right. really helpful, especially when we're at different maturity levels and we're trying to understand what right prayer should be. Because while we haven't discussed it, we're basically presuming that there is a right way to pray, that there yeah. is a method which is altogether appropriate and there's one that's subpar, that's mediocre. So you're right. I think if those things, if we use those things, if only to help us so that later on prayer becomes the air that we breathe, that we don't, we're not so tied to those particular acronyms or those particular structures, but it's because we've moved forward in such a way that we can pray naturally encompassing all those different elements. Because it occurs to me that in our natural misery, we just don't know how to pray as we should. And for that reason, we definitely need instruction. So how good of God that because we do not have that teaching in ourselves, we can wait upon him. And even the disciples themselves said, Lord, teach us to pray. So yeah. we're always in every generation saying the same thing. And we, whatever numeric device you use, as long as, I think the best one, of course, because all of those are going to fit within the Lord's Prayer or right. what I would probably call like the Disciples' Prayer because the Lord's Prayer is the one that he prays to the Father, I would say, in, in John 4. But um, I guess let's talk about that for a second because – sure. I think that the Lord's Prayer is one of those tricky things because in various places it's become a mantra rather than a method. So Mm -hmm. what do you think? Like, how do we apply that? What are the elements of it? Yeah. So it's, I don't think it's an accident in scripture that within, you know, a chapter or two that Christ both gives us a model for prayer, but then also tells us, don't just repeat empty words. Right. right? It's like the same breath. That he gives us a pattern and then says, don't just repeat this without appropriating it and investing meaning into it with your own will and intention. And so you're absolutely right. You know, I I think particularly of like the Roman Catholic model where you have you're assigned a certain number of our fathers to pray in order to compensate for a certain number of sins. And so just repeating certain words in a certain order, a certain number of times somehow. and, And yeah, to be charitable, like with proper contrition, blah, 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 all the stuff that they attach to it somehow uh, mediates the temporal consequences of sin. Like that's the far extreme. But how often do we get into those same kinds of patterns in right. our prayer life where, you know, I've got to pray today. I need to get my my 15 minutes of prayer out on the docket. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to do the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read Psalm 100 about Thanksgiving. I'm going to read Psalm 139, which is sort of a confession of sin. And, you know, and I'm going to just read these real prayers. And then I've prayed rightly. Mm, no, no, you haven't. Right. So I, I think at the end of the day, 
reading out loud a handful of scripture-based prayers without meaning, without without your own heart faith contribution in terms of your own appropriation of those prayers is worse than a 30-second or a 5-second Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me. Like right. that, that prayer, 15 words or whatever it is, said in faith is more valuable than hours of rote prayers said in a lack of faith. I agree with that. That's the truth right there. I mean, because basically what you're describing is closer to Harry Potter than it is to the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. If, if we say these particular words... Because Jesus said them, the exact words, and there's still right. value. Again, another section that we're memorizing in that scripture typer group. This is just shameless plugs for scripture typer today. <laughs> we should, but we should also email the them and see prayer. if we can get a sponsorship. We definitely need scripture typer to sponsor us. But it's valuable to learn, memorize the Lord's Prayer because it does provide a method, but we need to be thoughtful about understanding the various components. Right. But I was going to say the same thing you already said, and that was a lot of people say, well, this is the way, let's not mess with the way that Jesus told us to pray. Here's the exact words, so we should use the exact words. Right. And the problem with that is that even though that prayer has been recited in unison by like worshipers since the second century, it's definitely just a model. Because Jesus gives us all these elements that should be included in the prayer in this really wonderful creativity, in a sense, within the biblical construct to employ the pieces in the model without getting stuck in the rut of using these same words and then it becoming rote. That's beautiful. I mean, not even the apostles understood the Lord's words there to be exact and the only words that could be used in prayer. And we never read in the New Testament that the apostles repeated those words only, and they didn't teach any others to do exactly that. But you can see them focusing on those elements, starting with worship and adoration, thanksgiving, supplication, moving through all those things. So I do feel really strongly that the Lord's prayer, Prayer is important. We should memorize it, and we should always have it in the back because it provides the rubric that we can always go to. When we falter, when we're sick, when our mind is stressed and tired, we can come to it. And even if we pray that exact prayer with this special cadence of slowing down and thinking over the words, I think we're still praying rightly, but it can always be the paragon, the touchstone, the solid ground that we can stand on when our prayers are are waning. Yeah, and actually I read in my devotions today, um, and I didn't plan it this way, but in my devotions today was Luke's recounting of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and something that struck me as a little bit interesting, I have to find it because I don't want to um, misquote it. But um, Jesus' disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach him to pray in the way that John taught his disciples to pray. Yeah. And so what's interesting there is it's not um, it's not just teach us how to pray in some abstract sense. It's teach us your way of praying, right? John taught his disciples sort of a school of prayer, right? John taught his disciples to pray in the John the Baptist way. And Jesus' disciples come to us and say, teach us to pray in the Jesus way. And what he says to them is he gives them in Luke, it's a shortened version, it's a sort of a truncated version of Matthew's. Um, but he he goes through those things. And so when we pray that way, what we're doing is we're praying like Jesus prayed. He didn't just teach us some abstract principles for prayer. It wasn't, here's five helpful things to keep in mind while you're praying. It was, right. this is the pattern of prayer that is the Jesus pattern of prayer. And for us who follow Jesus, who consider Jesus our teacher and our rabbi, and we are to be conformed to his image, it's really important for us to remember that we are to pray as Jesus prayed. Now, again, that that doesn't necessarily mean pray the exact words that Jesus prayed. Um, Frankly, you know, Jesus was probably praying in Aramaic, and we have a Greek translation, so nobody is praying and we read English translations of the Greek, nobody is praying the exact words that Jesus prayed because we don't have those recorded in the original language that he prayed them in. But Jesus gives us this Jesus model of prayer um, to follow after. And I think so often we just kind of like, there's actually like almost an allergy to the Lord's prayer among some people because it's wrote, it's, it's written down. And I think for me, that's another kind of like practical recommendation to make. Don't be afraid of, 
quote-unquote scripted prayers. Rather, whether they're your prayers that you write out and pray repeatedly, maybe you write out on an index card um, Monday's prayers. On Mondays, I'm going to pray this specific phrase for this specific person, but I'm going to make sure to pray it with in faith and with meaning every single time. But in order to take away sort of the nervousness or the uncertainty of having to come up with words to pray every time, I'm going to write it out ahead of time. Or maybe you get the Valley of Vision and you you pray through the Valley of Vision, right? You pray those prayers and you appropriate those prayers to yourself. But don't be afraid of pre-written scripted prayers, um, one of our, um, the men in our church who prays, he, he frequently is kind of leading the order of service. He's one of the deacons here. He will come up and you can tell every week he spent time writing out his invocation prayer. He writes it out ahead of time. He reads it off of a card, but because of that, he has taken the time to think through it. He's taken time to compare it against scripture. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that, even in our own private prayers. Right. And those prayers, cause I've been there when he's prayed, are actually very exceptional because mm-hmm. they're so well thought out because he's yep. taking time to make sure that they comport with scripture and he uses a fair amount of scripture. Yep. That's a wonderful blessing to everybody because it's not those kind of prayers where somebody's just meandering in real time because they, they can't, it's hard to pray extemporaneously. So I'm right. totally down with that. If, if you need to pray in public and you've been given that honor and responsibility, it is definitely okay. And I would say encouraged to be yep. thoughtful ahead of time about what you're going to say, not to, to push out the Holy Spirit by any means, but instead to make sure that you are prepared to lead in prayer by being cogent and biblical. That's super important. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a side note, um, there is a, I don't want to say it's an existential difference, but there's a difference between praying publicly in terms of like praying in front of people and leading people in prayer and then praying um, with people. So there's public prayer, right? What our deacon does when he does the invocation or in some senses, it's not formal, but when I pray after the worship songs, that's different than when I pray when we do prayer group and it's everybody kind of praying. And I don't take time to write out my prayers ahead of time, but I do take time to prepare for that. So every Sunday, um, you know, I, I look ahead in the bulletin and I see what scriptures are going to be read. Um, you know, we have a old Testament reading and then usually a new Testament reading. And then the scripture reading that's second in our order of service is usually the scripture that pastor is preaching on. So I take time before church starts and I read those passages and I read through them and I understand what they're, you know, what they're saying And then I think about the message of the service, you know, and there's all sorts of ways that I try to kind of discern what the sermon is, the content of the sermon is going to be. But I orient and I arrange my prayers with that in mind. And so if you're a person that ever has an opportunity to pray publicly, do not take that opportunity lightly because you are leading people into the presence of God when you pray that way, whether, whether it's a formal thing, um, you know, like certain denominations will have restrictions on who can pray up front. And depending on where you stand is whether you're praying formally or whether you're praying informally. But if you're ever in a position to lead people in prayer sort of formally like that, make sure you take some time ahead of time. You don't have to write it out, but make sure you take time to really think through that, to to pray about how you're going to pray. Um, there's kind of, like I said, there's almost like a a misconception that extemporaneous unprepared prayers are somehow more spiritual or more efficacious than right. the ones that are prepared. And I just don't, I just don't see that, you know, in the scripture, it's not true. yeah, in Acts, um, Acts two, it says the disciples were, or the apostles and disciples were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers, right? There's a definite article. And so these prayers that they were devoted to were not just, they weren't devoted to praying, they were devoted to a specific defined set of prayers. They had concrete predefined or pre-scripted prayers that they engaged in, and they were devoted to those things. So there's definitely a biblical pattern and a biblical precedent for using written out prayers or prepared prayers um, to aid and to shape the way that you're praying, whether it's publicly or privately. So let me share one final thing from me that's been really helpful. It's really intensely practical in terms of prayer. I think I may have said this before, 
but this is a, like a little bit of a strange thing that I do, but I have subscribed to this in all my praying, what I'm calling the Hannah methodology of prayer. And that is, I only pray out loud. And, and I pray out loud if I'm alone, I pray out loud in the car. And the reason for that is because it helps me keep a better focus. Yeah. If there's something about that's reinforcing about praying and hearing your own voice coming back into your ears, because one, it keeps you from straying too far. And other times I'll be praying and think to myself, honestly, what are you even saying right now? Yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're yeah. just stuck in using some words. So you need to get off of that and focus on what's happening here, that you're before God and conversing. So even if that's just a mumble, always pray out loud. It's so, so yeah. good for focus. And it reminds me as well, just like Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, who, by the way, was praying so fervently that she was presumed <laughs> drunk. And that's really, that. I, this sounds ridiculous, but that's really my goal. I want to yeah. be that impassioned, remembering that when I come before God, it's to come with vigor and emotion and feeling, not manufactured, but out of a sense that this is an actual conversation and relationship that's happening here. Yeah. And the things that I'm praying about, whether it's honoring God, whether it's giving Him praise and glory, or bringing before Him my requests, all those things come in my life tied with emotion and meaning. And yeah. so I'd really like to be presumed drunk when I'm in the car with my lips moving <laughs> like crazy than just to be kind of coming before God. I mean, there are times when you're kind of silent before God in reverence, and, and that's okay. I'm not discounting those. But most of the time, I just don't think I, we pray with enough fervor. We're not really yeah. that excited about it. And so this reminds me that Hannah got that right, and I want to really kind of model what she did there. Yeah. Well, I can say this. When you were here for Christmas time and you prayed during church, I assumed you were drunk. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, I, I do hope this embarrasses you a little bit. But when uh, when you're here, you know, we're in a small church. There's less than 20 people. And there is uh, every single week, unless we are not here, I'm up front leading, you know, playing guitar, praying except for the two or three, you know, two or three Sundays a year that you're here. And when you're here, you play guitar and I actually get to be like a part of the congregation. And I'm always encouraged hearing you pray because there's a passion and an intentionality behind the way that you pray and a confidence behind the way you pray. And so I think, um, you know, you have really been for me an encouragement to pray more boldly publicly because when you pray I don't I don't know if you do this in purpose but when you pray there is a declarative sense to it you are stating truth about who God is and who God is to us and who we are to God and claiming the promises of God over the congregation. And so for me, um, I've been encouraged when you pray, not only because it gives me a chance to sort of step back and actually rest in the congregation, but also just because being able to see that publicly is not something because I'm the one up front a lot of times. Right. I don't get to see very often. Um, but what you just said is also, I think, very important is that sometimes prayer is a matter. And th I think maybe this will be kind of how we close. Because for me, prayer can be intimidating. Private prayer can be intimidating. Yes, for and, sure. If I'm being honest, which I don't know why I've said that phrase so many times <laughs> tonight, but um, public prayer is not intimidating to me. Not not in this. There's gravity to it. I recognize the gravity of it. Right. But it's not like I ever go, oh, man, what am I going to pray about? What what am I going to do? I, I don't I can't do this. There's nothing intimidating about it from that level. Private prayer to me is intimidating because when I'm in public prayer, I have these frameworks that I have sort of in my head that I pray the scriptures. My Like I said, my prayers are usually just kind of strung together scriptures or creedal statements it's funny and it, I, I don't remember was it this church and others i pray literally went up and prayed the entire nicene creed like in front and i had someone come up to me after church and was like your prayer was so beautiful where did you get that from i was like uh the most foundational prayer of our faith the most foundational creedal statement of our prayer anyway um i say that to say private prayer is sort of intimidating for me but what i found really freeing I don't have to fill up all the time. Right. Right. If I sit in silence, praying in silence, even if I'm silent in my mind, if I simply devote myself to that communion with God and I sit there, I don't have to fill up all the time with words. 
right? I may say, Father, you are good and I love you and I'm thankful that you've saved me through what your son has done. And then I may sit there silently in my mind and in my heart and in my actions for 10 minutes right. and then say amen and go to work. And yeah, that's just perfectly that fine. Right. It's perfectly fine. I don't have to fill up those 10 minutes to be able to say I prayed for 10 minutes. Um, not that you should ever be like doing something just to say you you did something for 10 minutes, you know, but don't feel if you're hearing my voice, don't feel like you have to fill prayer. We've had prayer meetings at our church where the pastor prays. And then we sit in silence as a group for 20 minutes. And then the pastor says, amen. And we go home and that's fine. It's totally fine. Um, so just be free to sit in the presence. You know, the whole, what is it? Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes that gets like sort of turned into this weird mystical contemplativeness of like empty your thoughts and know that God is God. But in reality, like cease striving, stop trying so hard be still, be present. All of those things are kind of wrapped up in that phrasing. Just be still with God. That is totally fine in prayer. It is so intimidating to be alone with yourself. That's oxymoronic or redundant (laughs) as well. And have to pray. I agree because if you're a comfortable public speaker, then generally public prayer is not so difficult to be honest even if you're a pastor it's it's usually pretty easy it's hard though when you're by yourself so i would agree with you and jump on that and bring back something that you said before and that is grab some resources that might help you get warmed up in your private prayer like the valley of vision which you can get at banner of truth or even the common book of prayer i mean thomas Cramer wrote a lot of amazing things both appropriate those prayers, but then think of them as a springboard, as your trampoline to get you started. That's the runway that you're taking off from. And then try to pray out loud through that. So I would recommend reading those out loud and then trying to pray on your own, not worrying about time limits, just worrying about focus. And I think that that's something that I'm definitely going to kind of rededicate myself to this week because I've definitely been inspired to jump back on that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned in the past, I use Google goals, which is a function of Google calendars, but only on your mobile device, which is obnoxious. Um, Agreed. And I tried to put prayer on there. And what I found is that you, you have to assign a time number, like a number for number of minutes to every goal. And I found that was actually kind of soul crushing for me because either I was assigning a time and then going, Oh man, that's so short. 15 minutes, like only 15 minutes. Or I jumped to the next category and it was 30 minutes and I'd constantly be getting done early. So I suppose, um, another word of encouragement is just forget about the time, right? Ultimately. Yeah. We want to be growing. There's, there's value in increasing the amount of time objectively that you spend in real prayer. But at the end of the day, whether you spend one minute in prayer or whether you spend 45 minutes in prayer is not so much the important thing. The important thing is whether you are actually genuinely communing with the living God. Exactly. So if you can only spend one minute at this point communing with the living God, and that's that's just the tolerance you have, that's the most you can do, then be thankful that you got to spend a minute in devoted time with the living God and then try two minutes next time. Right. Right. Or, or work to spread that out. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I first started dating Ashley, um, I, it I've was never really that, easy. So, yeah. Well, you didn't start dating <laughs> Ashley, but when I started dating Ashley, um, it was really easy to spend a lot of time with her. Right. It was really easy to just hang out with her for hours and hours at a time. But I know other people that I've talked to, sometimes those first dates are kind of like excruciating because like you run out of things to talk about in the first like 20 minutes of the date. And then you're kind of like, well, what do I do? And I think we can get to the point where like prayer is difficult and you can have that same kind of phenomenon happen that like, what do you talk about to God for 45 minutes? But when you're dating someone and you get to know them, and you spend time with them, you actually get to the point where like, you don't have to be talking about anything. You can just be in a room with them. And that is beneficial to your relationship to just be in each other's presence. And ultimately with prayer, like that's what we're seeking 
is the communion and fellowship with God that doesn't necessarily need words. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of like sitting in the Lord's presence, not in like a weird charismatic mystical sense, but like devoting yourself to being focused on intentional time with God, intentional time devoting your thoughts and your attention to God is right. so valuable. Because prayer is like doing planks, isn't it? You, if, When you first start out with those, <laughs> yeah. you only have so much stamina and wherewithal. And But that's the point, is that God uses us in the classroom of his prayer time to grow us. And so, yes. but if we never step into the classroom, just think of like all the latent potential, so to speak, that is in our lives. It, it's. I totally agree with what you said. I want to encourage everybody to be satisfied in quality time with God, no matter how small or large that time is. That is so important. So just by getting out and trying, and I'd love to hear through voicemails or email or Twitter, if you want, how people are doing that or maybe some of the things yeah. that they do. I mean, I want to at least give real quick three recommendations on really good books that were formative, both in a theoretical and a practical sense for me for prayer. One is yeah. classic, which is Martin Luther's A Simple Way to Pray. Uh, another one from your Puritans, which you actually gave me, Tony, was Prayer by John Bunyan. That is amazing. And then the last, this is a little bit off the beaten path, so I'm hoping that people will look this up. There's a, an exceptional book on prayer titled Prayer by <laughs> Ole Halsby. Have you ever come across that? It's like a sweet name, O-L-E Halsby. I have not, but that's almost as cool as Mortimer, whatever it is, from Mortimer Adler recommendation yeah. in the beginning. Again, yeah, definitely a Sherlock Holmes villain. But so it's it's helpful to read, but then it's helpful to do. So I feel like the ratio of, of that should be two to one, right? Like yeah. <laughs> read for a short period of time and then try to go put it into practice at least twice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I don't have any great recommendations in terms of books or resources. Um, as I've said, I, I don't have any that really stand out in my life that have been super formative. But I want to close our conversation on prayer Um, Just reading from uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Um, This is more of the chapter than usually you see associated with this passage, but I want to read kind of the whole section. Starting in verse 18, um, and I'm going to read through verse 30. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we eagerly await for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with uh, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the reason I read the whole thing is because we tend to read verses 28 um, basically abstracted. Maybe we include twenty or 26 and 27, basically abstracted from the rest. And we read about how the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. And we pull that out from the greater context. But the greatest, the, the broader context of it is that we as fallen creatures in a fallen world, we don't recognize what is proper to pray. But God has redeemed us. And so the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit teaches us how to pray. In other places in Romans, 
Paul says that the spirit testifies to our spirits that we are children of God. And then he closes this section with kind of the major, um, the major Calvinist doctrine of the Ordo Salutis, talking about how all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But the way that we know and the way that it's proven that we are called and that all things work to the good for those who love God is that the Spirit intercedes with us when we don't know how to pray. So all of that long, long explanation summarized. Be encouraged that prayer is something that the Spirit does through you. We have to pray, but the Spirit himself prays for you. So we have an intercessor who is in the presence of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is mediating on our behalf. He's interceding on our behalf. But the Spirit himself is interceding inside of us on our behalf as well. So for me, anytime I come to prayer and I recognize it's difficult and it's intimidating, I can be confident in prayer because the Spirit himself, God Almighty, is interceding for me and praying when I don't know how to pray. So if all you can do is come before God like the tax collector in Jesus' parable and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's all you can muster, that if that prayer is offered in faith, then that prayer will be made efficacious by the Spirit. So, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And prayer is hard. It's difficult. But the Spirit intercedes for us. There's nothing else that we really need to say. No, we are bookended by amazing representation before God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, without to risk sounding like a a modalist a little bit, (laughs) God intercedes with God for us. Not just once, but twice. Right. Right. God intercedes with God twice on our behalf. Like that makes your mind do flips. It's incredible. Yeah. But and that's about prayer. Like that's that's the thing is Trinitarian theology is so involved in everything. It's even involved in our theology of prayer. Like the most auxiliary things we might think about in terms of theology proper, and it's central to our theology of prayer that both the Son and the Spirit go before the Father on our behalf. It's just it's amazing. It, it is really amazing. Is. We're now we're just getting our second wind, but to yeah, exactly on that. Prayer is theocentric, and we've talked about this before. One prays to God the Father, through God the Son, with the aid of God the Holy Spirit. So we should be tremendously encouraged, and I think this is exactly what you're saying. We should be strengthened by the fact that God has great pity and compassion toward us, knowing our disposition, that where there is truth and sincerity of heart, he's going to accept our chatterings and kindly entertain all of our unutterable groans which are formed in us by his Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, at the risk of cutting us off short, I don't want this to be a seven-hour episode. Which we could easily do at this point. We could easily do at this point. So if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to share your prayer requests for us, we haven't received prayer requests, but I'm sure that Jesse and I will be happy to pray for uh, any prayer requests that come our way. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. You can call us at 607-444-2767. Uh, or you can tweet at us at Twitter, uh, at Reform Brohood, <laughs> at Twitter. Wow, I need to get some sleep. You can tweet at us at Reform Brohood, um, or you can also check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can send us messages through our, pra- our page. Uh, honestly, if I'm being honest, that's what you just stumbled through there was not nearly as bad <laughs> as I opened this podcast by saying, at the beginning of my rear so (laughs) you're still ahead all right well jesse take us out until next time honor everyone love the brotherhood what if i'm fine